Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The McDonald's All-American Games are where hype becomes legacy. These players are high school athletes today, but they'll be household names tomorrow. James Harden, Anthony Davis, Candace Parker, Brianna Stewart are all McDag alumni. This is a big year. The games are back on for the first time since 2019 and returning to their many-time host city of Chicago, celebrating 45 years of legacy and commitment to high school basketball. Tune in to the games on Tuesday, March 29th. The girls' game starts at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2, and the boys' game begins at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. Catch the games live on March 29th and Jamfest on March 28th, both at Wintrust Arena in Chicago. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Dishes and Dimes brought to you by Basketball News. My name is Iman, and I am joined by Yasmin. Yasmin, what's up? Not much. Um, some interesting things to discuss with the last, you know, couple weeks of the season. I know this is going to be a super jam-packed, like, final month of the season. Like, some people consider this the doldrums of the NBA. Uh, like, I get that January, right? Right, like, leading into that All-Star break is usually that period, too. But because of the play-in tournament, because of just how exciting and jam-packed the East is in terms of, like, playoff seeding, this final month of basketball is going to be so incredibly exciting. It might even rival how exciting the playoffs are going to be. Yeah, I think that you're right about the playing tournament making everything like it's so high stakes. <laughs> I just hope the Raptors aren't like near that, um, you know, seven to 10 range. No, let's get out. Let's get out. Um, but before we get into today's episode, I'd like to take a minute to talk about our sponsor, the McDonald's All-American Games. So the McDonald's All-American Games are where hype becomes a legacy. These players are high school athletes today, but they'll be household names tomorrow. James Harden, Anthony Davis, Candace Parker, Brianna Stewart are all McDag alumni. This is a big year. The games are back on for the first time since 2019 and returning to their many-time host city of Chicago, celebrating 45 years of legacy and commitment to high school basketball. Tune in to the games on Tuesday, March 29th. The girls' game starts at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2, and the boys' game begins at 9 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN. Catch the games live on March 29th and Jamfest on March 28th, both at Wintrust Arena in Chicago. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster. Don't forget to follow us on social at McDag. 
can we talk about some of the games that have been happening recently and less about the game itself, but more about how crazy these stat lines are for some guys. We had Kat who had a very emotional post uh, that made me, you know, I just want so many good things for Kat, um, but made me all like emotional thinking about uh, who was with him as he scored 60 points and grabbed 17 boards for the Timberwolves who've been on an absolute tear as of late. Sadiq Bey just had a crazy game as well. What are your thoughts on, on all of these high scoring affairs? Um, it's, it's interesting because we always talk about new and innovative, um, the defenses, but we, we often forget that it's in response to like offense being like, as it's never been before, basically, (laughs) I feel like it's just unprecedented what players are able to do from one through five at their positions. Now the expectations that they can basically do a little bit of everything now, um, and of course, in response, defenses have to catch up. Um, and it's interesting because I feel like defenses are actually quite like as a Raptors fan, you might be used to seeing experimentation in that department. But generally, defenses are kind of lagging, like they're kind of um, behind in terms of um, adjusting to the new age of offense in the NBA, modern offense in the NBA. So um, I want to see how it pans out in the next year or two and if defenses become more versatile to accommodate because you know I I don't know I feel like people kind of look at coaches like Nick Nurse Eric Spolstra for what they're going to do in response to certain things and it's like let's see whether it catches on or not or if it's just going to be the norm are players going to just start scoring 40 50 60 point games weekly like is that the norm now Honestly, it's, it's a great question. I think, you know, generally how the NBA has worked is that offenses innovate and defenses catch up. And then you have to have a more innovative offense and then your defense catches up. It's kind of how it feels. Um yeah. Where And this is going to come with with three-point shooting. You're going to have high variable games. You're going to have guys score 60. It's going to come much easier because of the three-point shot. And with, you know... Um, with so many with, with so many like five out teams and, and just so much space now that guys play with, it's just going to happen more often. We're going to see this. Offenses are just getting better, but the reaction is going to be that defenses are just going to be getting better and tighter and more experimental. Because what happens is one team kind of leads the charge and then everybody copies exactly what that one team is doing. So it'll be fun to watch the sort of chess match of offenses versus defenses as the league sort of continues on. Yeah. And I sometimes wonder if there's like a cap on what defenses can do, like if we're going to reach a point where just offense is kind of exceed or like we always say both sides of the ball. But, you know, is there a point where offense just becomes too overwhelming and you can't really stop things from happening? Like, I feel like with every defensive scheme you give and you take, like you give up something and you take away one aspect. Um but, you know, is that going to be the norm? Is there going to be a way to, um, I don't know. I, 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 it might, I don't know if it's going to equal a rule change or something. We'll see how it goes, but it's like, it's very interesting to monitor. No, I, and I think it's exactly that. There's got to be some sort of chess match. There may be a rule change to kind of make it fit. The idea of a four point shot, which is what people have sometimes have been pushing for, is absolutely just like not going to happen in the NBA. Yeah, I do not want that. <laughs> but, but there, there probably will be a rule change. There probably will be something just to 
I mean, it, it depends. It's going to be really fun to watch the evolution of offenses in the NBA. Um, and I think we're going to get a few years where that's going to be the push and then we'll, we'll get the reverse. It's going to happen. It's always sort of been that way. Hand checking back in the NBA. Is that going to happen? Is that what the rule change is going to be? <laughs> bring the, bring a more physical brand of basketball. Um, yeah. Uh, it'll be fun. It, it like I'm excited for this next iteration of basketball, and we're seeing it really with the rookie class to start off, right? Oh like, yeah. It's it. You can watch what the future of basketball is going to be. Watching guys like Evan Mobley, watching guys like like uh, Cade Cunningham and Scotty Barnes, and even like the Luka Doncic and and the the Trey Young. Like there's uh, Lamelo Ball. There's very clearly this like future brand of basketball that we're seeing. Whether it be big guys being able to handle the ball and play make at a, at a much larger size. Of course, you know you have LeBron James, you have Magic. That's always happened, but it feels like there are more of those guys um, oh, yeah. coming in and and. They, they seem to be NBA ready as soon as they come into the league, Luca, Cade. Um, you also have a, a guy like Trey Young, who's willing to, or LaMelo, who's really just willing to shoot from the logo. It's like, yeah, you, I might not even be a 45% three-point shooter. I'm going to take as many because I recognize the value that they bring where like, these are guys who grew up in the analytics era. These are guys who grew up with sort of the change. And that's not even mentioning a guy like Scotty who can play one through five, uh, can guard those positions is like this multi faceted wing player who can just kind of do it all. You can start him at point guard one day. You can start him at center another day uh, or Evan Mobley who can just guard just about everybody. He can protect the rim and he can guard out along the perimeter and what that can do for an NBA defense. Like, how crazy is it that there's a rookie in the league that could potentially be an all and first or second team all NBA defender? Like that's insane to me. This rookie class is so amazing. What are your thoughts on, on what we've seen so far? Yeah, no, I agree hundred um, percent. It's interesting. Cause like, it kind of reminds you how young the NBA is um, because now we're seeing kind of like the, um, players being drafted in the image of, you know, arguably the best player in basketball in LeBron James, um, like the greatest of all time. So uh, I feel like this, if I feel like it, it, even though they are players that were drafted kind of in his style, like size with um, offensive versatility, defensive versatility, um, play uh, scouts and teams were still hesitant to draft players like Scotty Barnes, even though it seems like this, the easiest choice, you know what I mean? So um, I think if if these players end up becoming the faces of the league, which honestly is shaping up that they would, that they will be becoming that, um, if it ends up being a success, I think it could change like how teams draft going forward, um, what they look for, what scouts are looking for, what teams are looking for, um, how teams are going to be building. Um, I think that people are looking at teams like the Cavaliers, like the um, Pistons even, and the Raptors. Um, and, you know, I think that what the standards and the uh, traits that they look for from college players is going to kind of change based on um, the successes of the top three in the rookie class. And, um, you know, the, the race is tightening now. Um, and it's really interesting to see these players kind of find their, their identities a bit and round out. And it's crazy because as is like those three players in Barnes, Mobley and Cunningham are like already great basketball players, which is like, usually I'm so used to, um, 
Uh, usually there's one player in the rookie class who's a great player, like just a solid player, but a lot of them have like kind of glaring deficiencies in their game, but that's just simply not the case with these guys. Like they're so good and well-rounded. Yeah. Now saying there's great for a rookie and then there's great, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like these guys, I'm thinking like with high usage, they could have crazy numbers. You know what I mean? They have small, they have lower usage simply because they are rookies. They have to defer. They have to figure out the systems that they're playing in the new systems that they're playing in. But aside from that, if by next year, like we're going to be seeing some of them make cases for (laughs) all-star. That's what I think. And to your point about the their sort of usage, I mean, Evan Mobley and, and Scotty Barnes are on teams competing for a playoff spot. And so, like, it's very rare that a rookie goes into a situation and is in a winning situation right away. Uh, and so fitting into that. But they're still like like their teams are in a winning situation because of them, not in spite of the rookie they're trying to work into into the team. But I, I thought you mentioned something very interesting about what teams prioritize when drafting. So that was a huge sort of point of contention last year. Of course, when you have James Wiseman being selected ahead of LaMelo Ball. Also this season, when, you know, there was a lot of talk about Jalen Suggs, is he going to go higher than Scotty Barnes? And a lot of surprise with the Raptors picking a guy like Scotty Barnes. You also have Jalen Green, who's been phenomenal recently, but, you know, a high usage guy on a on a poor team in the, in the Houston Rockets. And he didn't have the hot start that a guy like Scotty Barnes had coming right into the league. So I actually want to ask you, what do you think? It is a copycat league. I completely agree with you that as these big wings who can do it all uh, work, more teams are going to want that player. A few years ago, the idea of being a tweaker or a tweener, a tweaker, (laughs) (laughs) the idea of being a tweener was seen as a bad thing as opposed to the positive. Like it was like, oh, you know, well, Michael Beasley's kind of, he's a tweener. Like, what is he? Is he a three? Is he a four? And now that's seen as a positive because of the defensive versatility that you bring. So I want to ask you, what do you think GMs prioritize now? And how do you think that's going to change in the coming years? I feel like, size is a major one right i don't th- i think that the, the the reluctance to draft smaller players is like they have to be like offensively um outrageous for them to overlook um being undersized and i think that defense is still not something that they prioritize weirdly enough because well, i feel like if you have a player who has a defensive floor like a high defensive floor whether or not their offense pans out becomes less like dire. But I feel like if you draft these players who look like they can score in college, but can't defend, if they can't score at the NBA level, they kind of like find it difficult to find a place in the league period. You know, it kind of shortens their career span. But I think that we're probably as offenses become more difficult to contain. I think that, finding players with high defensive floors is going to be like the norm. I feel like that's going to be something that play, that um, teams will prioritize and things like foot speed and defensive IQ is going to become more important. So but yeah, that's, sorry, go ahead. I mean, I, I love this train of thought. And if you don't mind, I want to sort of stick, stick to here for just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's, let's talk about someone like Scotty versus someone like Evan Mobley, a guy who can create for himself a little bit more than a guy who who can't, but is more ahead defensively than, than Scotty, who's a good defender in his own right. But Scotty has more of the sort of uh, offensive touch around the rim and he can create for himself. He can create for others a little bit more as well. Or you at least see that happening in his future. What would you say you would prefer if you were at the top or what do you think 
teams prefer right now. You know, Evan Mobley is in the running for Rookie of the Year uh, ahead of uh, Scotty Barnes on most people's ballots, and he was selected just above him. Yeah, hmm. I'd say if both players remain stagnant, yeah, then you would say that if then then you would say that Evan is the um, the better choice, right? But and then that still doesn't even take into account what the team actually needs. Um, right. You know, if the team is missing playmaking, then yeah, they would prefer a player like Scotty. Right. Um, but but in addition to that, um, I think the thing with Scotty is that it's kind of hard to deny that um, if he does reach his ceiling. It, it would be higher than Evans because I feel like he would be making up for less. If he does continue to develop his playmaking ability, if he does continue to develop his his shooting, his touch around the rim and all these things that he already has a hand in, then that would end up becoming the more uh, well-rounded player, I think, with a higher ceiling. And I feel like the defensive discrepancy is not like as huge as, as people say because, you know, uh, people bring up the stats of who Scotty defends exactly. Um, and their roles on defense and Scotty, like it's hard. you can't deny he gets some tougher assignments consistently. Yeah. And yeah, that's going, the fact that he's guarding the NBA's uh, very best offensive producers is going to show up, up on his um, defensive stats um, and his role on defense is different. He's, he's not playing help defense. He's yeah. um, full on guarding these guys one-on-one. Um, you know, Pascal has the def- the help defense role on the team. And in the absence of OG, it's just kind of been more accentuated. But he's been honestly um, living up to the challenge. And he's been yeah. great in OG's absence on defense and guarding the best players on the opposing team consistently on every night. So, yeah, I, I think that right now they are neck and neck. But I think that we're going to see as time goes on that... Scotty is going to be someone who will just kind of snowball with all the skills that he already has and things that he's going to naturally polish with reps. Yeah. Whereas I think for Evan, he's he's going to continue to thrive in his role and to gain other skills like becoming a, a proficient playmaker and stuff like that is going to require more of kind of a leap in his skill set. But we'll see how it pans out. I think that the rookie of the year race is going to be one of those where it's not too indicative of who becomes the best player out of the draft class but right now like those three guys in the top of the rookie of the year race are just like phenomenal players as is and um they they're definitely like i always say that this draft class is going to be looked back on as one of the best ones of the last 20 years for sure. Yeah, it's, it's giving very 2003 vibes. Um, that's what yeah. um, Justin Rowan uh, said on Dishes and Dimes last week as well. I, I completely agree with you. And I think a little bit of the delay in people catching up to, you know, the, the Scotty Barnes slash Evan Mobley talk is once again kind of relying on what we understand of like, do you want a versatile big wing guy uh, who's a little bit of a tweener? Or do you want the sort of a, a more traditional big who can do this additional thing? Like it's almost seen as like, well, this is a big who has this additional skill set. And I think that the the narrative on that is changing. I think we're starting to see it change. I keep coming back to like the, the KD archetype or the Greg Oden. If we were to draft a million times over, I think a James Wiseman type, and we don't know what he can become, will always be selected ahead of a LaMelo. But I wonder if we're getting to the point in the NBA where a Kevin Durant could be selected to um, over Greg Oden. I don't think that that's true. I think probably still, at least for the next little while, it will always be the Greg Oden type. But do you think we'll get to a point? Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, where 
where the conventional wisdom will say, I would prefer to have a guy like a Kevin Durant because of Kevin Durant's career, because of what Scotty Barnes could become, because of what Pascal Siakam, Giannis Attentacumbo, and all of these big wings can be. Will the prototype for the type of guy that you want, will it ever change to being the big wing because of what he can potentially do on offense as more guys can create for themselves and play, make, and do all that other stuff than a traditional big? Do you see that ever changing in the NBA? I see it changing, but I think it all comes down to the fact that in college, the big men tend to thrive. Like the centers that can can do a bit of offense can, are the ones that tend to thrive because they're just so much bigger than the competition. Like it, you're, and then you know, I guess that it's a bit a mixed bag once they get to the professional level and they're less less unique. I guess like there's their skills are more uh, replicable. But for the big wings, I feel like they kind of because they're kind of in-betweeners, they kind of find it difficult to find to like their clear identity in the at the college level against the competition at that level. Uh, yeah. But then once they get to the NBA, they tend to thrive because no one can really match up to them. They kind of just fall in between the categories. I think the, the fear is that sometimes they don't. Whereas in the NBA, if you're a seven footer, you're always going to find space. You're always going to find a team. Yeah. Whereas like the Jabari Parkers sometimes just don't, don't last in the NBA. Like I can tell you what Stanley Johnson, yeah. on. the Stanley Johnson's right. Like I think Jabari Park was on the Celtics to start the year. Don't know where he is right now. And this is a guy who, you know, Andrew Wiggins is an all-star this year. Joel Embiid is in the MVP talks and conversation. He's probably the second, sometimes on people's ballots, the first guy um, there. So like there, there's always that risk as well. It's really, it's, it's an interesting debate, but I, I think that Big men are always going to have a, a role in this league. We look at the MVP ballot. It's still being led by big men. Still Joel Embiid. It's still Nikola Jokic. You know, Giannis is, is basically a center, although he kind of fits into the conversation that we're having about big wings as well uh, and just their versatility. But let's switch over. Let's switch gears and actually talk about the Eastern Conference because things are heating up and it's going to be a, a dog fight to get to that sixth spot. I think four through... Four through eight, honestly, four through 10, maybe we can even say is going to be a bit of a fight. What are your thoughts on, on how this last month of the season is going to shake up? Like, it's kind of insane because I saw a conversation that was happening on Twitter about how I think the, they think they're they hypothesize that the playoff, the playing tournament is making the playoffs more high stakes, which is making the difference in intensity and effort between the regular season and the postseason, even more intense than it usually is. And even more like of a discrepancy than it usually is, uh, which is like an interesting argument to be. I'm not like, I, I think that the clustering in the Eastern conference is making me a little at odds with the play in tournament. I'm not, I don't think I'm as all in as I used to be <laughs> because at this point it's like, Whoever, I don't know. I just, I, I guess it makes it more fair for the play in tournament that the seven through 10 range is so tight and so close. Mm. You know what I mean? Cause um, you would hate to see a team knock out um, even though they have a far better record than the competition in that range. But I guess now that they're so close, you know, the bet made the best team win, I guess. But yeah, the Eastern Conference is, it's a complete dogfight. There's so much talent on every team. Um, you could talk about whether your team, you know, um, has a favorable matchup in this bracket or in that bracket. But at the end of the day, the competition is a really high standard right now. 
I see what you're saying. So like, because let's say the Nets didn't have their foot on any gas pedal for most of the season, but they could knock out a team like the Raptors or the Cavs that have really been scratching and clawing all year long. Yeah. that's fair. That's fair. You know, consolation prize to the Cavs or the Raptors. If you you lose out, at least you get your pick. But I completely agree with, oh, you know what? I still like it. I still like, I, I can see that it's unfair. I get that one game, one game winner takes off terrifies me as a Raptors fan. Who's had to yeah. sit <laughs> a million different game it takes one like two games to get warmed up in a series. <laughs> yeah. Like I, make it a best of three, please. <laughs> the Raptors tend to win game two and three. That makes me very nervous, definitely. But I like that there's a push to be a top six seed. And you know what else I like? I like that teams at the top also can't rest guys because they don't they don't get to play a chess matchup. You know what? I would rather play uh, against the Hornets than play against the Nets in the playoffs. So you know what? I'm going to maybe lose a few games because the Hornets are the seventh seed. You know what I mean? They can't play that game. There's no way that the Hornets are going to be the seventh seed, but y'all know what I mean. Um, <laughs> so they can't like the top teams can't really relax in that way. And yeah. then the bottom team. Okay, yeah. Can't really find a comfortable groove either. It feels like everyone is on their toes because no one knows what's going to happen, which I think just makes for really exciting basketball. What what Justin was saying last week, which I found really interesting, is, is he was sort of talking about the race to the playoffs being as sort of exciting as a playoff series itself, almost like kind of likening the two together because for the Cavs, like for the Raptors, Pascal, Fred, OG, these are all guys who won a championship and who, who you know, made the playoffs numerous times and, and have had those battle scars. But the Cavs are not the same way. And a lot of these other teams are not the same way. Sure, um, yeah. They haven't they haven't been in, in high stakes scenario. So allowing them to have that maybe to close off the year maybe prepares them a little bit for the time that the playoffs come around, right? Like, uh, are, are teams more prepared in the second round after going through a dogfight in the first round? Probably. Like, you probably learn a few things. Your your mindset changes. You're in that sort of fight mode. And maybe the beginning of the playoffs can feel like bright light shining. And, you know, for guys who are just in it, it might be a little scary. So maybe that this is like a great way to sort of prepare teams and get teams there. And even for the teams who lose out, they kind of have that experience of needing to play must-win games, whereas if you're the 10 seed a few years ago, you're never playing must-win games. It's like, who cares? Nobody cares about you anymore, right? So I don't know. Yeah. I think there's a lot of positives there. I like the way that like I care about basketball in March and April, and I'm not just counting down the days to the playoffs. Like I care about the Raptors next week's schedule, and I'm paying attention to other teams in the Eastern Conference to see where they're match up and how they're playing and all that other stuff. And it feels like that's rare for this time of the year. Yeah, no, you know, those are all great points. Like I'm, I'm kind of iffy about it, but there's, there's like, there are benefits to both sides. It's just kind of, I, I'd have to see how this, how it plays out this time for me to kind of solidify an opinion on it. <laughs> but, um, okay, you know, for the, the Raptors are at seventh place. Um, and there's honestly a chance if everything goes well, that they finish the season in like fourth, <laughs> because they're only 2.5 games behind the Celtics. And they have, from what I understand, the easiest remaining schedule. Can we toss that out? The easiest and the, okay. I remember the Raptors lost a few. Let me pull up the Raptors schedule here because we've been talking about the easiest and the most difficult schedule, and I get it. But the Raptors had a stretch of basketball where they lost to 
the Portland Trailblazers, if you remember this, and it was like, and they barely squeaked out a win against the Wizards. And they had lost to the Detroit Pistons a week before, and they lost to the Mavs, who hadn't started rolling yet. And Raptor fans were worried. They were like, "Hold on, <laughs> we keep losing to these terrible teams." And they looked at their future schedule, and they were like, "We have to play the Bulls and the Heat and the Hawks and the Bulls again and the Heat again and the Hawks again." And the Raptors no, went no, on to say that they they went five and one in their six game stretch. And yeah. that. that was back in February. And then and then um the late February comes along and people are like, oh, the Raptors have such an easy schedule. Who do they have? They have to play the Hornets and the Hawks, and they keep beating these teams. And you know, the Pelicans, they lose to each of those teams by like 30 points. And then people are like, oh no, the Raptors schedule, it's getting tough again. They've got to play the tough teams. Uh they and then they go on and they sweep it's true. It the is Western true. Conference road trip. And it's like, okay, who cares? Like, this team is impossible to predict. The only thing that you can know about this Raptors team is that they will lose to Dwayne Casey's Pistons. <laughs> Beyond that, I don't really guarantee any sort of predictions. <laughs> I remember sitting on, I think it was a Friday's News pod with you where I'm like, oh yeah, but they play the, the Thunder next. Like the Thunder just lost by like 70 points. And then they went on to lose that game to the Thunder, if you remember. And so I, I've decided who knows what the Raptors, their strength of schedule does not matter because they beat good teams and they lose to the bad teams more often than not. To me, it's just about how healthy can they be? That That is true, yeah. What the Raptors are going to do, how healthy is Fred Van Vliet, how healthy is Pascal Siakam, because he had a stretch where he was clearly sick post-All-Star break, and you know he had a few games where he didn't even crack 10 points. Um, yeah. Very rare for Pascal Siakam, but since then, he has been on an absolute tear. Fred Van Vliet, if he's healthy, we know how important and vital he is to the Toronto Raptors team. And when can they work OG Ananobi back in? That's this, true, too. This lineup some games to get his rhythm back. He, he, he'll he need to get his rhythm back as well. Um, and, and that's not just a question for the Raptors. I mean, the, the Bucks are trying to work back in. Brooke Lopez, the Bulls are trying to work back in. Alex Caruso. And uh, I'm not, has Lonzo Ball even started for that? Has he come back? I know Caruso. I, I, I don't know. I haven't watched a recent game from them. But yeah, so he was out with injury for some time. He's been out since December. So, yeah. So and and so has Caruso, and they're finally working Caruso back in. And then you're going to have to add in Lonzo Ball. the The Cavs have had every injury under the sun. They've got to work back their guys, which is you know Jared Allen. Who knows? He's out indefinitely. Uh, Darius Garland, like they Rondo, so many guys. So for all of these teams that the Raptors are playing against, it's really going to come down to who is the healthiest and how soon can the Raptors make themselves the healthiest team? Cause that can make a world of difference right now. The Celtics are rolling, but the Celtics are the healthiest team out of the bunch. Um, and and that is true. Playing amazing, but everyone else is hurt right now and who can be healthiest will determine how the East shakes up. Yeah, I agree 100%. I will ask you though, what is your mm. preferable round one for the Raptors? Not Boston. <laughs> that is true, yeah. Not Boston. Okay, so I mean, I think the Bulls are probably the easiest to beat just in terms of like, I don't think the Bulls are as good as their record is or has been for most of the year. They have don't have a winning record against teams over 600. Now, this is a stat that I looked up last week. Or 500 or 600? 600. 600. Uh, this oh. is a stat that I looked up last week, so I'm sure it's changed since then. They might have racked up some wins. But a week ago when I was looking it up for a pod that I was on, they were 2-12. and 12. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
Also, they're just beating up on the bad teams. Okay, that explains a lot. Uh, and, and I kind of talked about this on this pod here too. I was like, okay, I get, I get the Bulls love, but how many game winners do you need against the Wizards and the Pacers? Like, why, yeah, why do you keep pulling out games by like, you know, the skin of your teeth? Is that a saying? I don't know saying. That doesn't really make yeah. sense. You don't have skin on your teeth. But why do you keep doing that against these teams that are sub 500? And why are we celebrating it like it's a major win? Is no one worried about this team? So for that reason, the Bulls don't particularly scare me. But I kind of am treating this playoffs a little bit different than most other people, I think. I would love for the Raptors to win a first round. I would love it. I would be ecstatic. I'm going to be nervous all playoff. I'm already jittery just thinking about it. But I recognize that like winning a playoff round this year, winning as many playoff rounds as you can this season doesn't really make all that difference because I don't want to be in the Atlanta Hawks situation where, okay, you've won some playoff rounds, you're set, you've had that, but now you're the 10 seed the year after. Like it's very building towards something. So I'm not even looking. It's about development, really. Yeah, this playoffs is like a rock, paper, scissors thing. So it'd be nice to get the Bulls. Yeah, give me the Bulls. I want to run around. But to me, and I, I want to feature Pascal Siakam. I want people to see how good he is. But to me, it's more about like, how do the Raptors match up against a team that they're going to play? And for me, that means I would like to play the Milwaukee Bucks because I'm very interested to see how the Raptors in a fight and a rock, paper, scissors match against the Milwaukee Bucks. How do they match up against them? Because the the, the Sixers, I'm kind of like, all right, you can't guard Joel Embiid. If he has a monster series, I'm like, all right, cool. Like we we understood that that was a, a major issue and hole for the Raptors, although it would be a nice test. And the Heat, I don't want to see because I don't want the Raptors to die. And I feel like that's a series where everyone's going to seven games. I feel like it, everyone's going to be bloodied and bruised. I'm going to be exhausted just watching it. So I, I like the Bucks for that reason. And the other reason that I had, and I, I talked about this last week with Justin, is like. Even if the Raptors lose to the Bucks, like I can talk as much smack as I want. And if they lose to the Bucks, I'm like, okay, congratulations. You lost to a team that's barely over 500. <laughs> Do you want a cookie? So, like, Or if they win, win, oh my goodness. And if they win, the slander will be amazing. Whereas if they lose to the Celtics, you can't really give that slander. It's just a lose-lose. There's no slander that I can give yeah. to the Celtics. Whereas if they lose to the Bucks, I can be like, Congratulations to these guys celebrating a win over a 500 team. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. What about you? No, I think I'm the I'm the same way. I think the I think for watchability, I would like Raptors versus Bucks because I feel like those are yeah. great games to watch just in general. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I would like to avoid the I don't mind playing the Heat as much as other people do. I think Oof, that would be an interesting series. Um but I don't because I think that the the Raptors are like one of the only teams in the league that are just ready to match up their physicality. They're not going to be intimidated by it. You know what I mean? Um, we are to we are to every other team what they yeah. are to us. Yeah, exactly. They're the they're we meet our match whenever we play the Heat. But and I don't I like wouldn't that. mind that matchup. <laughs> I don't like to meet my match. Who <laughs> <Like, laughs> else? <laughs> Um, and I think that the, yeah, I wouldn't want to play the Sixers. I feel like that's just going to be, um, too, oh, and honestly, I think that we'll see in the postseason, but I honestly, this might sound stupid, but I think that getting rid of Steph Curry, Seth Curry, sorry, uh, is going to be an issue. Um, and yeah, you keep Thibault cause you need that defensive wing, but they also need that spacing in addition to... I don't to- think that's a crazy thing to say. Seth has been phenomenal for... Was phenomenal for them and has been phenomenal for Kevin Durant. 
Yeah, like I just think that, yeah, you, you, if you had to choose between him and Thibel, I understand choosing Thibel, you want that defense, but your shooters then are Danny Green, who's been on a cold streak for the longest time now, for the like the past six weeks. Since June um, 2019. <laughs> and then you have um, Thibel who can't shoot. You have um, Maxi who can, who's awesome. I love him, but he's not very good defensively. Um, and then you have Harden. Like they, they, I feel like they're just kind of lacking the spacing um, that I think that Embiid needs to thrive. But we'll we'll see how um, um, it looks in the postseason. I feel like um, <laughs> these are two players who have kind of a rep when it comes to playoff basketball in terms yeah. of their stamina and their postseason play. Yeah. Uh, and I I really want to see how it looks now that they both have the arrangement that they want. I see. I'm really. I was much higher. At- than the six on the Sixers than most people that I've talked to for that one reason you you sort of talked about it both Embiid and Harden have this reputation of not being able to hold up come playoff time and that's because of the giant load that they have to take on in yeah. the regular season for their respective teams but now they can share that load in the regular season so the idea is hopefully they'll have fresher legs come playoffs um, but another thing is when even talking about the Sixers collapses they often feel like they happen in the fourth quarter. Like, it feels like the Sixers are good. They had that one, was it game five or game three against the Hawks where they had control for the entire game and then it just slipped away. And it felt like that was the story. That happened like every game of that series. They yeah, fall apart in the third or fourth like, quarter. It felt like that was the story of the Sixers. It felt feels like that's always been the story of the Sixers. And part of that is when the game gets down to the final moments, their entire offense felt like a Joel Embiid post-up. they didn't really have they don't have a point guard they didn't have anyone to get the ball to Joel and B scoring wing Um, and they also didn't have any like there was no one else that you could really trust Tyrese Maxey has grown tremendously this season but also like part of the reason why having a number two that's Ben Simmons hurts you is because Ben Simmons did not want the ball like how many conversations did we have about oh he scored no points in in the fourth quarter all of that stuff right so That to me has been the reason why they've lost so many games and what their biggest hurt was. And now you're bringing in James Harden, who is automatically the best point guard that Joel Embiid has ever played with. So you have someone who can feed Joel when no one else could, but you also have one of the most talented offensive players in the history of basketball, a guy who can create his own shot at at any opportunity at any point and can also provide the spacing. He's the best shooter that Joel Embiid has also ever played with. So pairing that together, to me, I'm just like, I can see their fourth quarter offense not being an issue. Like, I can see the pieces come together. I can see why this can work. This could be really scary. But everyone is like, have you watched Joel Joel Embiid or James Harden in a big game? Have you seen James Harden in big games? (laughs) You know what James Harden looks like in big games. And that shut me up. Like, that's the perfect response where I'm like, yeah, I guess. I'm like, you got to see it to believe it. And we haven't seen it yet. So I don't know. They're scaring me. I think that they're a very scary team, but I can totally see them flame out as well. Yeah, they're they they are in a must win scenario. Some people forget like this season or next. Like they have to win. <laughs> That's that to me is why this Eastern Conference is so exciting. Now I talk about how the East feels like a lot of really good teams, but no great team. And I think that maybe the Heat are probably the one team that you can say has a switch that they can maybe turn on because we haven't. Yeah, seen I agree. On all cylinders, we haven't seen an aggressive Kyle Lowry, and we know that he is the type to like to conserve his body and. Mm-hmm. 
they, they just have another gear defensively what they can do they can just shut everybody down which is just so scary how that can operate and then offensively I don't think we've seen what they can truly unlock but outside of that I'm kind of worried about this Eastern Conference because every team feels like they're in a must-win situation. I think yeah. the Mets just sort of reset their timeline by a little bit by adding in, by replacing James Harden with Ben Simmons, who is younger. That kind of resets their timeline by a bit. But I mean, it's going to be a really bad look if they can't make it to the conference finals this year. Like that will be a disastrous end to a season that has been disastrous on its own. And who knows when Ben Simmons is even going to be back. There's talks that he might come back a few games before the playoffs. But like, what does that even mean at this point already? Especially if they can't have him for a play-in scenario and they can't have Kyrie Irving if, you know, the play-ins in Toronto. Hopefully it's not. Or the play-ins in Brooklyn, depending on how that shakes out. But that's going to be a very scary scenario for them. And then you also have the Sixers who need to make the, they need to make the conference finals. They need to make the finals, to be honest. But if they don't make the conference finals, that's a problem. Uh, The Bucs, if they don't make the conference finals after winning a championship last season, that's a major problem as well. So I think for at least those three teams and the Celtics should really be wanting to make the finals. I think they have a little bit more uh, leeway and run than those other teams do, but they've been playing spectacular basketball. If they can't turn that into a conference finals appearance, I think that that's uh, a bummer and to, to a great season for them as well. It's, it's scary times for the Eastern conference. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, I like that you mentioned the Celtics too, because they've been playing really, 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 really good basketball. And Rob Williams, I feel like is like a major component of that. Cause I feel like their center position has always been weak for a while now. Um, And now that they have Horford, that they have um, Rob Williams playing so well and so versatile, like he's, yeah, I, I feel like every time we play him, he gives us a problem offensively. Like he's really good at rolling. Um, and, and he was giving like Nikola Jokic fits, like you he's, know, like, he's really athletic he's for his so good. size. Yeah, yeah, um, I'm interested to see how he looks in the postseason as well. Yeah, me too. I mean, the, they're they're a really they're almost a team that you would think is on the same level as as the Toronto Raptors. At least, like you would sort of. I think most people put them in a, in a tier above, but I think maybe most Raptor fans would say they could be around there because the Raptors do have Siakam and and um. Fred and, and OG, but the Raptors are clearly still developing. Whereas the Celtics, I think are the next iteration. The Celtics, what the Celtics have that the Raptors don't have currently is just more depth. And they don't even have all that much more depth, but bringing in Derek white is, is great. And continuity them. really. And, and continuity and health. Um, those are three things. Um, and Jason Tatum has been absolutely stellar. Their defense has been absolutely stellar, which I think points to the continuity. Cause we've seen with the Raptors, they have moments where defensively they're terrified. And then they have moments defensively where they're like, these guys just haven't played with each other. (laughs) (laughs) That's clearly what we're seeing right now with these breakdowns. Um, But it it looks like the the Celtics are what the Raptors could be next year or even the year after. Hopefully next year, you know, if the Raptors can get some more depth or some guys can turn into things. But it feels like the Celtics are like what the Raptors should be looking towards becoming in the next year. Do you agree with that? No, I agree. I agree. I, especially with the depth, like we've seen how well Thaddeus Young has been integrated into the rotation. If they get like one more player just like that, who's solid, can give you like a solid 15 minutes every game, they're set, I think. Sorry to interrupt, but like maybe Masai Ujiri, 
not the same type as Thaddeus Young because he's the same type as everybody else. No, no, no. Yeah. Like a different skill set, Messiah, please. Like, yes. Bobby, please. Just one person who can shoot. <laughs> In the abstract sense, I mean, like, a veteran that knows what he's doing. I know what you meant, but I know the Raptors organization's like, yep, we need another guy. Another 6'8 okay. guy. <laughs> who's 6'8, uh, seven foot wingspan, can handle the ball, play, make a little bit, can't shoot, but like maybe can shoot. Maybe we can like work <laughs> that in a little bit. Uh, no, j- just some just some shooting for us, please. And you know what? Like something that I keep forgetting with this team is like OG. <laughs> like we talked about it and it was almost kind of like, oh yeah, OG can, can be added. OG just healthy OG Ananobi being added to this Raptors team will make the world of a dip. Like it would just, it's, it's going to be night and day. They look so complete. They look so complete as is. So like, imagine just adding him and having him kind of seamlessly come back. I think that that really makes their um, playoff ceiling interesting. And because, especially because of the emergence of guys like Precious Achua and, you know, Chris Boucher doing what he does, which is going to be really interesting to see what the Raptors do with Chris Boucher in the offseason. Because I was team like, I don't think you can keep him. Now I'm like, I don't think you can get rid of him. (laughs) I think that he's so important to what the Raptors does. Just another guy coming off the bench. Do you remember, and we could probably close off on this here, but like, do you remember how when the Raptors were on that run in February that I was just sort of talking about when they were rattling off those wins against the Heat and the Bulls and the Hawks? OG Ananobi as a tertiary option was just like fit like a glove. Like sometimes you didn't see him, but every night he got 20 points. It felt like it was just like teams trap Pascal and Fred and their ability to make reads and their ability to move the ball has been like just so much fun to watch that development and and their growth there. But that means that OG Ananobi is your tertiary option. And we've seen the growth that OG has in his game, being able to score, um, being able to handle the ball a little bit and, and being able to create for himself. And it just felt like this team could be unstoppable with a guy like OG Ananobi just waiting to be fed mm-hmm. and often yeah. being open. Like it, it felt like magic watching that happen, especially with Gary Trent there as another floor spacer. Oh yeah. And I, I think that his absence is also kind of helpful now too, because it's been giving Scotty and Precious Achua a little bit of increased usage so that they can feel more comfortable playing with the other guys. And I think that, once OG's back, it's going to have kind of like, like it's going to have like kind of ripples into the rest of the roster. Cause I, I think like the stretch we're seeing from Scotty and the stretch we're seeing from Precious being an actual usable, beneficial rotation player, like which is something I'm that sorry. he's never been before. Don't underrate Precious Sachua. You missed the greatest three point shooter. In the hey, I, I wrote an article just talking about <laughs> I know how awesome you have. He is. <laughs> you did. You did. Trust me, I'm, I'm team Precious all the way, but. <laughs> Yeah, so like just I think that their their great play lately is connected to having that increased usage. So I think that if they can find if they can like retain that momentum that they've uh, created for themselves with the addition of OG, it would be really awesome to see because I think that was the issue before. I always remember like thinking just Scotty needs more touches. He needs more reps. I think that if they can maintain their contribution and their involvement in everything with OG's return, that would be really awesome. Yeah, and something that I've seen from Nurse that I've really liked is we're getting a little bit more Scotty with the bench, which 
yeah. I, I need because Scotty sometimes does because when you're playing with OG, Fred, Pascal, and Gary, Scotty does become the fifth option there, right? And so he does kind of fade into the background. And uh, I'm with you. I want to see more touches. And I think you know the absence of OG has definitely given us that, which is which is great. But you know, want Scotty to be more aggressive and want to see what Scotty can do when he's more of a focal point of the offense. And we're seeing that with some of the lineups that Nick Nurse is throwing out there with with some of the bench guys, which has been a lot of fun. Just to close off, final question. Where do you predict the Raptors? Look into your crystal ball for us or tea leaves or coffee grounds, whatever you do. <laughs> and we'll say tea leaves because it fits the brand. In the postseason or like there's their season? No, like where do you think they finish? Where's their post? Where's their um, playoffs? Ah, where's their season? Where do, what season <laughs> do they finish at? I think that they have... Yeah, I think that they have the opportunity to take the Bulls' place. I think that should be their goal. And I think that I, at the very least, I see them finishing at sixth. Um, with Jared Allen going down, I think that the Cavs are going might find it difficult to close off their upcoming stretch without slipping a little bit. They've been slipping. If we think the Raptors have been slipping, they've been slipping. Yeah, so... The, at least I think they they, fin- they they that they finish sixth, but in the best case scenario, I think that they finish fifth. I think that's how they close out. I don't see them staying at seventh, like just with everything that is happening right now with the um, conditions of these teams above them. So, um, yeah, I think that's I think that's the that's the reading for me that they finish at sixth. I'm gonna say. <laughs> I love it. So the cool on tea leaves reading is that they, yeah. you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to say, I agree with you there. And I can't remember who you had. Do you have the bulls as the fifth seed or the Cavs as the fifth seed? The Cavs, I think they, they're going to go down to seven. seven. Okay. I yeah. agree with you. I think that that's my read on it as well. I think the Raptors are probably going to be a six seed, meaning the Cavs are probably going to be a fifth seed. And if it's just our luck, the Celtics are going to finish as a three seed and it's going to be a three seed. <laughs> Between the Raptors. Oh my God, what a nightmare. <laughs> I don't want to see it. I don't want that to happen. Really hoping that the Cavs, I mean, the, the Celtics can continue winning some games there so that they can finish as a two seed. And then hopefully the Raptors can get the Bucks, which sounds crazy to say that I'd rather see the Bucks <laughs> right. than the Celtics. But honestly, the Celtics are on a roll and the Bucks are looking shaky. I don't know. Things, yep. things are shaky over there. Thank you so much for joining me, Yasmin. And